Hello, this is the One Fish podcast for people building high trust, self-responsible cultures which move fast and are genuinely uplifting places to work. I'm Carrie Beddingfield, I'm the founder of One Fish Two Fish, and in this podcast I will be in conversation with my One Fish colleagues and our extended team to bring the concepts we use every day in our work into focus, from self-organizing to agile meetings, and from culture hacking to beauty and business. You're listening to the Friction Free series in the One Fish Culture podcast. And it often feels that there are more uh, change disaster stories than successful change stories, and that the pain of change is often rewarded with pitifully meagre results. And with me today to discuss um, how to generate change without generating resistance is Roy Marriott. Hi, Roy. Hi, Kerry. Thanks for having me on. Well, Roy started his career in software, consulting for what's now known as Arm, uh, the BBC and Philips, and also getting a game onto the shelves of WH Smith. Um, also doing a degree at Cambridge University and research at BT and Hewlett-Packard. But then he discovered coaching and realised that that's what he really wanted to do. So Roy is a coach and he uses a method called solutions-focused brief coaching. That's all about generating change without generating resistance. And Roy tells me that he is constantly amazed at just asking the right questions in the right way can make so much of a difference so quickly. And in my experience, when I worked with Roy on my product, Loma Meetings, around a year ago, he helped me to back out of a dead end I was in and to see a much, much simpler way forward that was just as aligned with my aims. And since 2005, Roy's been training organisations to use these coaching methods um, and also he regularly leads workshops at conferences around the world on topics like coaching for psychological safety, um, around giving great feedback and, of course, generating change without generating resistance. So, Roy, given that you are working in a space where you are um, uh, creating some really quite remarkable change without the frustration, the friction that we see so regularly, what is it you know that we don't? <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I've, got, I've got two secrets. It's funny because I'm not convinced they're secrets, actually. I think they're pretty, they're, 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 they're staring us in the face, but we don't see them. Um, so actually, I want to I start just by telling you a story. Um, and I heard this from a colleague called Steve Williams, who's an agile coach, and he's also a keen sailor and a lifeboat navigator. And tragically, it seems with the lifeboat service, um, they often get called out for people who are kayaking and they get separated from their kayaks. And, you know, people do die as a result of this. Um, but what they found was that a lot of the time, these people, they actually had a radio or a mobile phone with them, but it was in the kayak. And the problem right. they got separated from the kayak. Um, so it could take hours before anyone called, raised the alarm. And even then, the lifeboat crew didn't know where they were. Um, so, you know, that's how it was. People were getting cold in the water. Um, it was a lot of time and hassle for the crew and so on. And, you know, they wanted to do something about it. So the first thing they did was they produced some waterproof phone pouches with the instructions very carefully 
written on the pouches and the reasons why it was so important to put the pouch around your neck while you're kayaking. So if you get separated from your kayak, we'll know where to come and look for you and you'll survive. Um, but you know what? People thought it was a good idea. They took the pouches, but nobody actually wore them, or very few people wore them. So it didn't make any difference. So they had another think and they did something different. And they actually took the instructions off the pouches. And when they were briefing people, they said, you know what? The, this is a great way to be able to take photos with your phone while you're playing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah? <laughs> oh, and by the way, it might save your life as well. <laughs> and that was what made the difference. That's what got the change. Right. Yeah. So what's the secret there? What can we draw from that? <laughs> well, first of all, change needs to be change that people want. I think yeah. that's, that's the big lesson. But there's yeah. a little lesson in this as well, because, you know, do people want to survive? Mm. I mean, yes, of course they do. So, so that wanting isn't like something they should want. Mm. it isn't a want that's a sort of an abstract thing it's it's like something people have an immediate in the moment desire for at the point yes where yeah if you can tap into that then change becomes remarkably easy so you said there were two secrets yep and are they the two secrets that's one <laughs> that's one what's the next one the next one is i think that was the practical one this is more yeah. of an attitude or a view and a way we look at things so i was i was reading through the hbr book on uh, leading change on um, change management and um i saw a quote from a paper that was based on four years of research which is you know quite unusual in this field i think and um, they said the greatest obstacle to the successful change is the idea that it comes about through company-wide change programs. Mm. Yeah. Unpack, unpack that a bit. Yeah. <laughs> well, so if you look at if you look at the the Cotter's papers mm. earlier on, at least he presents eight steps. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. And he rigorously says it's going to take you 10 years to get that change into place. Yeah. Although we nobody, nobody ever um, pulls that bit out. They just, if you search for it online, you just see the eight steps. That's it. Quick wins. Great, great. Go, go, go. You don't see the thing that says it can take 10 years. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, you know, there's good stuff in those eight steps for sure. But yeah, that, those 10 years count with that method of those centralized mm. change programs. So let's take a counterexample. So um, using a process called Appreciative Inquiry, um, a, a company that became Verizon went through a change process. And within 14 months, they hadn't just done the change, they'd won an ASTD award for it. Right. Yeah. Now, the, what was the difference? So I think in the the classical model of change, we see an organisation in one way. We see an organisation as being a mechanical static system. Yeah. That it may be broken and in need of repair or maybe needs change and upgrade. Yeah. Whereas um, in, a, in a more, I would say, more contemporary 21st century model of change, we actually see the organisation differently. We see it as a complex adaptive system. 
but is constantly evolving anyway. It's constantly mm. anyway. And it's full of individuals that have talent, that have potential, and they're constantly interacting in ways to try and serve customer needs. Mm. So more like a, um, a flock of migrating birds than a locomotive engine. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, got exactly. it. So if you look at that latter sort of organization and you look at change there i mean one one of the beliefs here this is this is secret 2a um, <laughs> one of the beliefs here that, that helps to make change possible is to believe that people actually want that change to happen mm. um, people actually want to serve customers better people actually want to um want to do a good job you know yeah. I, I think so often we, you know, we exist in organisations that, that believe that, um, you know, we, the management, will make you, the people, do things our way. And that, yeah. that is the way to generate success. Um, I think a much more collaborative view of things is much more effective today. Mm. And can you um, help us understand what that might look like in practice? So what is, what is solutions focus? What... What do you do? What do you do, Roy, when addressing this complex adaptive system rather than um, a mechanical, um, static, uh, complicated, but predictable machine? Absolutely. So the first thing is to engage with the people who are there. Um, rather than trying to think about you know, in the abstract, I'm going to go in and do some diagnostic organisation development. Mm. Um, I'm going to go in and do something that's much more dialogical. Um, one, one way of looking at this is to think, you know, I think in the world of software development, um, we've really learned that we do agile software development. Yeah, we, we develop software in a way where we, we take it two weeks at a time. Yep. We work out what we think the customer wants. Yep. Preferably by talking to them. Yep. <laughs> and then we build something that we believe is actually going to meet that need. And then, you know, very, very quickly, I mean, even two weeks seems some, is sometimes a long time these days. Very quickly, you, you build something, you put it out there, you see how people respond. Mm. either to a prototype or preferably the real thing, preferably a modification to the real thing. So we know about agile software development. But when I see people doing agile transformations, they often don't seem to know about agile organisational development. Right. So I think that's the, maybe that's another secret, that if we can do our transformation in that agile kind of way, it's so much more effective. So just to spell that out, we're, we're going to the people who are going to be changing. We're talking to them. We're finding out what sort of change their customers for. What are they frustrated by? What do they want? Mm. How could they serve their customers better? Mm. Because there's so much wisdom and experience there in the organisation as a whole. And how, how do you square that? So that sounds entirely logical to me. It absolutely flows from that idea that if you can tap into what people already want to do here and now which is to do a good job that they're the best source of that insight 
how do you square that with an organization's desire to have a big plan to have a roadmap to be able to budget for it always always a big question <laughs> i think the the first thing is to engage people in what i call the zone of productive change right um I'll come back to your question. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, Circle around, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So the first thing is getting everyone, well, I say getting everyone on board, but even that's a bit of an old-fashioned metaphor because it implies there's a ship that yep. people are not on and you yes. them onto. Actually, you build the ship together. Um, so there can be a conflict between what, individuals in the organization want and what people running the organization want in fact you know you might say what the organization wants mm. and the what i say is let's find the zone of productive change which is the zone in which you've got an overlap between what people in the organization want and what the organ what the organization wants and indeed what the customers want yep and if you've got, if you can find an overlap between all three of those it's change everybody wants so it's going to run so much more smoothly and how would you go about finding that out so really practical nitty-gritty how do you find that zone yeah okay so i would start by saying who who are the customers for change who are the people who already want something to be different and want to do something about it so it might be there's just one you know so one one executive one leader uh, an example comes to mind of someone in the cooperative group um of a one billion pound part of the cooperative group um, which had just gone through some restructuring and they were suffering from low morale. The morale surveys were coming in at 2.5 out of 10. And the, the, the chief executive wanted that to change, and understandably. And so in that case, all we did was four coaching sessions of four hours each with that executive. And those, co those coaching sessions generated... I think it was 35 different micro initiatives. And of those, you know, they, they weren't particularly publicized. Mm. They were just things that the executive did. And the result of that was that the morale went up to 5.5, so more than doubled. Yeah. And, you know, so there was no big change initiative, mm. as per my quote earlier. Um, people... You know, some of the change initiatives, people didn't even know had happened. They certainly didn't know there was a big program to improve morale. But when they looked at the, um, you know, when, when they were surveyed and all these different initiatives were listed, 25 of them, they said, yep, those, those, those helped. Two of them, um, no, that made things worse. Right. The rest either they didn't notice or they didn't, you know, didn't care about or whatever. Yeah. So that's one extreme. You can just work with a single person working in their sphere of influence, especially mm. when they're a senior person, can make a tremendous difference with no change initiative whatsoever. Mm. Just little initi micro initiatives. At the other extreme 
you might have the whole organization feels like everyone wants something to be different. So I'm thinking here of um, the Santa Fe in um, the, uh, the, the name of the book's eluding, turn the ship around, uh, David L. Marcot, yeah, L. David Marcot. Um, so there you've got an organization where you've got a lot of frustration amongst the middle management saying, look, we know how to do this better, but systems and leadership are getting in the way. Um, so in that case, well, it, it's fairly clear, isn't it? You find the zone of productive change by listening to their frustrations, finding out how they think things could improve, also being aware of the, the bigger picture for the organisation as a whole, and looking in the intersection and saying, mm. right, OK, let's make some progress with that. Um, sometimes it goes even further and literally brings in the whole organization to a big summit um, that's the appreciative inquiry approach um, and there what you tell us what appreciative inquiry is in case anybody who doesn't know what that means sure of course yeah so appreciative inquiry is a way of generating whole organization change and in a way I think the biggest change comes about from that appreciative bit so you remember I was saying that, that the old view of organisations is to see them as static and in need of repair or fixing. There's almost the opposite of that. Is like, you know, every, anyone who's tried starting a business knows what a miracle it is to get a business successful, never mind to get it to grow, never mind to make a big organisation. So actually, to get to that point, there is a what they call positive core, something that's already working really well in terms of culture, structure, systems, people, vision, the, everything. Mm. So the way that appreciative inquiry works is to really explore what's, what's working here, what's already great about what we do, and then start dreaming about how that could be even better. Mm. And you were explaining... Um... Uh, ha about the concept of having a whole organization summit yes. type yeah that's it so, so when when should everybody get together and when should somebody beaver away and do things that nobody's nobody's looking at uh i'm not sure that anyone should ever be <laughs> beaver away independently when, um, when, but yeah no I, 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 I got your question um so i think basically if there's a very very specific issue that needs tackling that's affecting a a specific subset of the organization then it makes sense to really home in on those people and that issue and start from there mm. on the other hand if it's something that everyone cares about and it's it's very broad organization wide and perhaps even not anything that's going wrong perhaps it's more like you know we, we're, we're doing well what does it look like when we get to the next order of magnitude mm. um, then it really makes sense to bring everyone together and can i road test some of this with a, a real life scenario go ahead let's see where we get to <laughs> so imagine you have an organization which is growing fast um it does something that lots of people care about um they feel connected to its purpose um there are a number of good, healthy tensions uh, between different parts of the organisation, parts that are trying to grow really fast and, and have that impact and purpose spread further, parts that are trying to really carefully um, protect the quality as the organisation grows. 
um, and where the organisation is, is shift, needs to shift from one way of working to another whilst running flat out whilst whilst doing a 400 meter sprint <laughs> mm -hmm. what um and no there's no one has any time um things are breaking a bit how do you go about creating change without resist what would you do in an organization like that okay so the first question i would say what i honed in on there was mm. talked about you know, we, we talk about the, the zone of productive change, yeah. the change that people want. So you said the organisation needs to shift to a new way of working. Mm. So who is saying that? Mm. Which is a really interesting question. I think, I think the reality is it's a, there's a, a messy muddle of um, the, I would say the, there are leaders who want the organization to move and grow and its product to shift and, and change mm -hmm. uh, the way the product's delivered. So mm -hmm. future, future vision. Mm -hmm. I think there are people working very hard on the ground to make their parts of the organization work in the current model. Yeah. Uh, you haven't got time for a new model yet. Yeah. <laughs> um, and who feel very strongly that some things need to be addressed. Mm -hmm. And then I think there's a, a feeling across the whole organisation, across different teams, that we should be working better together. Okay. But we haven't got any time. Right. And okay. we spend a lot of time in meetings already. Right. And we're under pressure to do the day job brilliantly, which is hard enough as it is. That's flat out. Yeah. To work carefully and deliberately and consciously and thoughtfully with other parts of the organization mm -hmm. and then the leadership team want us to start moving in a new direction start to adopt a new model mm. so as always when we talk about it in theory there's a lovely oh well, we need to go from slow and silo to fast and collaborative in right. reality <laughs> real life smashes against that <laughs> quite hard yeah okay so the the thing i've heard you say that is immediately in that intersection yeah what, what everyone wants what the organization wants what the people on the ground want is working better together yeah um and lot spending lots of time in meetings already yeah um, so it sounds like there's an opportunity around that. I might well mention your Lomo work at that point as a way of yeah. helping us <laughs> with less, less time in meetings. Yes, yeah, um, yeah. So sometimes, sometimes it works like that. Sometimes you find the opportunity for change mm. is, you know, already in a, what, two or three minute conversation, we've got to a, a leverage point that's quite different to this initial starting point. Yes. But actually feels like a place where change could start happening. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so your no, suggestion no. being that meetings are, are held or that meeting time that's, that already exists is um, made much more productive, useful, valuable. And, and that somehow that change that's wanted gets introduced using that as a vehicle. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Now, now, we've just had a three minute conversation. Yeah. <laughs> the reality is a, a longer conversation with whoever it is who really feels most passionate about yeah. making this change happen. Yeah. Which yeah. then creates, you know, after that, say that 
preferably you know, 30 minutes an hour for our whatever conversation, we've started to identify a number of those leverage points, a number of mm. those opportunities, a number of those sort of candidates for the zone of productive change. Mm. Um, and and, the, and, and the, who the customers for change might be. Yeah. So it might yeah. be that, you know, we've talked very broadly about there are leaders and there are people on the ground. Within those groups, there, un- undoubtedly, there will be some people who are more up for change, some people less up for change. Mm. So let's find the customers for change, the people who really want to be working better together and for whom it would make an immediate difference. Yeah. So it would save them some of the hassle that they've currently got trying to work hard to make everything work. Yeah. Yeah. And take that as the starting point. Yes. And and do it agile. Do it one step at a time. Yes. Let's find one step we can take that will help us to be working better together. Yes. What's yes. that one little thing that will help us to collaborate? Yeah. It's, it's very hard, you know, to to road test it in the abstract because it's almost always a surprise when you find yes. it. But when you find it, you know it and everyone wants to do it. And so it's got its own momentum because, you know, I'll tell you this little secret about people being short of time. Yes. They can always find time for the most important things and they can usually find time for Facebook as well. Yes. (laughs) Hang on a minute. Facebook's not the most important thing. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Now that's a surprise. (laughs) You see what I mean? That, that if you could, if, if, if change is compelling enough, people Mm. find and people do so let's just probe this one step further um this um so all all this great 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 um very very logical very helpful and i guess the final step is sometimes people just don't they don't want to do another new thing one of the things i find about meetings if we take that as an example because it is in this crossover between the um leverage points and also my my experience of leverage points for change is People often don't want to change what they do in meetings, even though they really hate meetings. Meetings are an opportunity to sit down, have a rest. Um, when everything else is flat out, sometimes someone else is taking the reins for a while. There's a limited attention span for that. Um, but the, as you say, the issue is not one necessarily of time, but of uh, energy and momentum. Mm-hmm. So what are the ways to get people off a standing start where it's like yeah 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 everything needs to change but oh don't maybe do something different don't don't try and make anyone do anything different Mm. (laughs) (laughs) you know this is where the solutions focused coaching approach yeah yeah you know it's been been running through everything i'm saying but it's really at its most clear at this point yeah um so i'm gonna say carrie what is (laughs) you most want to be different in your work in my work for example and then, in, the, in this situation well, whatever you know and just yeah. as an example of how we would approach this i'm i'm going to be asking you that question yeah you tell me that thing you really want you passionately want to be different yeah and then i'm going to help you find something that you can quickly and easily do about that thing you most passionately want to be different yeah yeah um, yeah you know, you're not going to be resisting it because you chose it yes and i'm not i don't have to motivate you because we started with your motivation yes yes okay so 
um, we've had a little explore. We've talked about some of the secrets, um, some different ways of looking at things, a different way of seeing an organisation. Can you take us back to the beginning and, and, and help us understand if, if an organisation were to start on this journey, mm -hmm. what does it look like in practice? How does, how does it get started? Is it you coaching somebody? Is it a thing at board level? Is it a workshop? How do you start? Uh, oh, that's a great question because I could just say, yep, all of those. <laughs> um, it's, it's very much with all of this work, the way that it works best is to tune it to the specific organisation and the specific situation. Mm -hmm. So if it's one person who really wants something to be different, then it can start with one-on-one -on -one coaching like I was describing in the cooperative. If it's a whole organisation um, that passionately wants to change and they're already quite together as an organization mm. um then it might be that i you know if it's just a, i'm thinking of one organization that is, is fairly small consultancy you know we're, we're just talking tens of people um and there they said you know look we're so enthusiastic about this our chief exec's been banging on about it for ages and he's on fire we're really enjoying what he's doing we want to know how to do it ourselves yeah so i just came in and trained the whole organization yeah and that took them from 3% growth a year to 33% growth a year. Yeah. Um, because they, you know, everyone took to it. Um, in between that, yes, working, working with a board that wants something to be different, um, helping them to identify what it really is they want to be different. Because often, you know, if you've, if you've at, at the top level, it's, it's, you have to work with abstractions. So it might be that you're thinking, we really want to be agile and we need an app, you know, say, say, say a bank that's transforming. Yeah. You know, we're seeing Monzo stealing our market share. We need to be agile. We need an app. Um, if, but if those messages go out just like that, then it ends up being old style change management. Everyone mm. being forced to build an app in this way that they don't necessarily want to be working because they're just being told to do it. Mm. Um, there's, I think it was Senge, Peter Senge, who said, people don't resist change, they resist being changed. Mm. Yeah? So in that situation, it's what I would recommend is a workshop that say, okay, what is it about an app? What is it about being agile that you really want? What's the, what difference is it going to make at your level? And, you know, the answer might be, well, we just stopped losing all our customers to fintech. Mm. Uh, more productively you know we want more customers we want customers to sign up more easily um, and once you get the specifics of that coming out then that's so much easier to work with um, so then that the next level down that can be a topic you know we want more customers so we gather people together to discuss that topic of getting more customers and comparing to you know competitors in the marketplace and so on and in that way they start to generate the change and, and so on it gives me uh, it it puts me in mind of um chi running and the idea that if you if you kind of lean i used to do this a lot when i was running marathons the idea if you kind of lean forward and just keep bending your legs you'll <laughs> you'll run <laughs> and the idea is that we shouldn't be trying to build these kind of enormous muscles but we should just get really good at leaning forward and just like bending our knees 
and, and yeah. not falling. <laughs> yeah. Try running a marathon with, without taking a step. Yeah, 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 without bending a leg. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah exactly. Putting one foot off the floor. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. It's, it's good, you know, you also have to have an idea that it's a marathon. Yes. And in a marathon, you have a very specific end goal. Yes. Um, with this, yes, you're absolutely right. If there's a, there are, there's the principle of taking small steps. There's also the principle of having a dream. Yes. There's also having a really clear idea of the sort of transformation that you want to have. That's it, that's it's subtle because it needs to be flexible enough to deal with reality. You know that yeah. old saying of you know no 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 battle campaign survives contact with the yes um, yes but also specific... well, ev- everyone has a plan until they get they get punched in the face. Well, quite that's exactly. Mike Tyson. Yeah. <laughs> but um, you know, so it needs it needs to be flexible in that way, but also vivid and compelling. Mm. So we in in the fifties generation accelerator, we used to divide divide those two things up, and we used to say, um, you know, your vision is your north point you hang on to your vision yeah, yeah. but you you punch your plan in the mouth <laughs> <laughs> and we had cards that you, we used to put on the tables at lunch that said punch your idea in the mouth <laughs> <laughs> and i think um right. uh, was it Ge- general motors had a, a whole um year of um, well i'm sure, sure uh, this is sort of well documented and i'm sure i've got a very inaccurate recollection of what, what how they exactly did it but they had a program called kill your business Right. Which is all about sort of preempting the idea that you know ultimately yeah. ideas don't survive contact with the real world. Yeah, and how to avoid being Kodak. That's right. <laughs> yes. Yes. So yeah. we've got three little we've got three little principles here. We yeah. just mentioned two of them. So I'm going yeah. to the third. Great. So we've got take small steps. Yep. And see if they're working and going yep. in the right direction. And if they are, keep them going and amplify them. If not, forget them. Obviously. Turn round. Yeah walk somewhere we've else got, we've got have a dream that's flexible and vivid the other one is that you want to look at resources that are helping resources that can help mm. or are already helping so one of the fantastic ways to generate change without generating resistance is to look for change that's already happening right fantastic example of this was a, was within sky they had set-top boxes that were having intermittent faults and very, very frequently being sent back to base to be fixed, which was expensive and hassle for all concerned. Looking into the data, well, the, the question is, when is this problem already solved, even a little bit? And they found, actually, there was, this was within the UK, so there was one team in Southampton that didn't have this problem. They were fixing them something like 80 or 90% on site. You're right. So there the change is already happening. All you've got to do is go and ask the guys in Southampton what they're doing and, you know, spread the word. Yes, yes. And in fact, actually what they were doing was setting up a competition board to see who could fix the most of these things on site. Right. And, and, and that, you know, that, 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 that was all the management had to do. Yes, yes. So provide, so where we talked about um, the issue being less about time and more about energy and a, a, a kind of gamification if it's not uh, inappropriate or yeah. cu- you know, cu- yeah. cutting across the, the reality, <laughs> people's day to day reality. Exactly, exactly. It, it is a way of adding energy. 
Yeah. And sometimes that's all that's needed. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right. So coming back to your question about, you know, how does this work? Mm. Uh, it starts with customers for change. Yeah. One or more people who want to do some, want something to be different and want yeah. to do something about it. And then those people come together to explore through these three principles we just described. What's wanted? Yeah. What's, what resources can help? What's already working? What else could work? And what small steps can we take to amplify this, to make it, to take one little step further, which might be they take action. It might be to engage more people and build the snowball. Roy Marriott, thank you so much. That's been a real pleasure, Carrie. Thanks for having me on. It's been a delight chatting to you. You've been listening to the One Fish Comms podcast. You can find us at onefishcoms.co.uk. You can find Roy Marriott at his website, roymarriott.com. That's M-A-R-R-I-O-T-T. And you can also find Roy on Twitter at Roy underscore S underscore Marriott. I'm at C. Beddingfield and we are at One Fish Comms. See you next time. Thank you for listening to this One Fish podcast. I hope you found the conversation thought-provoking and perhaps it raised some questions or puzzles or thoughts for you about your business or organisation. If you hear anything in these podcasts that sparks your interest, tweet us at OneFishComs or you can even book a call straight into my diary if you think we should be talking. All the details, plus all the references to books, people, concepts or anything else we touched on are in the show notes below.